I've been in a series um, called Living a Life That Matters. We've been looking at the life of Moses and asking God the question, how do we really live a life that makes a difference in this world? And today I want to talk about something that I think is really important for all of us to know. I want you to repeat out loud after me. I am not alone. Oh, say it again with you. I am not alone. How many of you got your blue shirts on today? Yay, thank you for wearing those. And, and uh, you know, we made these shirts at the beginning of this series, and it says, Living Life That Matters, and on the front it says, You Are a Masterpiece. And I wanted you to wear those today because I want you to understand that you are a part of something that is greater than yourself. Paul describes the church as a body. And that all of us have a place, all of us have a role, all of us have a part. And I hope that you are continuing to seek God and find your place and your part in that body. Now, we kicked this series off with this understanding. You are not a mistake. Before you were ever born, God knew who you were. And he loved you. And he thinks that you are incredibly valuable. And, and today, if you have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never allowed him to forgive your past and pour his spirit into you for a brand new future, I just want to encourage you to do that. Take that step of faith. The Corinthians says, if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Behold, the old is gone. How many of you are glad the old is gone? Yeah, the old is gone, and behold, all things become new. And I don't care who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. Our God's grace is greater than all of your sin. And today, you can have a brand new beginning. But here's the part that just always staggers me. God is not only willing to forgive me of my past and forgive me for where I've been, God wants me to partner with him in the work that he's doing here on earth. What an incredible privilege. Now, we've been tracking with Moses watching this. Uh, and learning from Moses about how God works in and through our lives. And today, I want to talk about this part uh, that what we just mentioned a moment ago. I am not alone. Say that one more time. I am not alone. Here's the story. Moses, was, as he was leading the people, had a time where his father-in-law came to town and watched what he did. And his father-in-law gave him some life-changing Advice. Let's pick up the story. Exodus chapter 18, beginning at verse 13. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do this alone all this alone while everyone else stands around you from morning till evening. Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them, and give them the instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You are going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me 
And let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees. Give them his instructions. And show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. This, listen to this, this will help you carry the load, making it the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you, will to, commands you to do so, you will be able to endure the pressure, and all these people will go home in peace. Now, this is an unbelievable statement that you'd only know. If, if you wasn't in the Bible, you'd never believe it. Moses listened to his father-in-law. Anybody else find that startling? Moses listened to his father-in-law. He listened to his father-in-law's advice and he followed his suggestion. He chose capable men of all over Israel and pointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to, to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law who returned to his own land. You are not alone. One of the things that happens to us uh, on this journey of faith is sometimes it's uh, easy for us to get into a mode where we're walking all by ourselves. In our walk of faith, we're just walking all by ourselves. And as we meet challenges, as we meet uh, hurdles, as, as we endure setbacks, sometimes it's hard for us, if we're honest, it's hard for us to invite other people in and help us on this journey. It's also a fact that sometimes as God lays on our hearts things that he wants us to do, ministries that he wants us to lead, classes he wants us to teach, or, or ways that he wants us to be involved in his kingdom work, it's real easy for us to get in this mode where we feel we've got to do it all and not invite other people to come alongside us and to share this journey with us. And today, what I, what I want to bring us back to is that's not how God created us to be. Again, you've heard me say this a hundred times. Let's go back to the beginning in the garden. When God created man, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. He created us to live in community. He created us to work in community. That's why he gave us each other. You know, I, I just spent a little bit of time early in the week just kind of going through the, in the New Testament again, the one another's and the each other's. And, and I think like 119 times in the New Testament, the, the phrase one another or each other comes up. And uh, we'll, we're on your outline, you've got this. We're not going to throw it up on the screen. But just, just listen to all of these that, that we have. It says, love one another, encourage one another, be devoted to one another, instruct one another, serve one another, forgive one another. I know that's a hard one. Be humble with one another, pray for one another, confess to one another, accept one another, agree with one another, bear with one another, submit to one another, greet one another, admonish one another, be hospitable to one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, have fellowship with one another, carry one another's burdens. Are you getting this? God wants us to lock arms on this journey and journey together. 
But that's not always easy for us. Come on, it's just us. It's just us. Great place to confess. We're in church together. How many of you would be honest enough to admit it's hard for you to ask for help? Come on, hold them hand. Yeah, some of you are lying. I know you're not. I know you're going, nope, I'm not going to raise my hand. Yeah, you, 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 you do. I know you do. We, we, we do struggle with that. I want, to, I want to step back from this, and I want to give you four reasons why you need to let others help you. I'll give you a lot of ways you could do it, but I want to give you four reasons you really need to let other people help you. Are you ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. <laughs> it, it helps keep you humble. It helps keep you humble. I'm going to tell you that one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason we don't ask people to help us is because of pride. Amen? It's because of pride. I don't want to admit that I need help. Um, and as I unpacked this idea in my own head, I, I thought that it kind of has two sides to it for me in my own journey. And some of you may not be able to relate to this, but two sides. One, when, it, when I talk about pride, uh, I, I just don't, I want to be able to be independent. I want to be able to do things. I mean, you ever raise kids, you know, or have your little grandkids when you try to help them with something and they say, I want to do it by myself. You know, that's kind of, and we carry that attitude with us. I want to be able to do it. And it is so hard for us sometimes to just let other people help us. Um, any, any married couple understands this. I don't know if you guys are wired like me, but it's hard for me to ask my wife to help me. I, I, it, it's just hard. Um, not long ago, we got, uh, we got the Cox panoramic Wi-Fi in our house. And I had to stick, put a new modem in and kind of rewire it and and our, our plug, we're, we're one of those old folks that still have a home line, you know, have a landline flown, and it has to plug into it. And uh, the plug into the wall is behind one of our bookcases. And Wanda has, like, has, where she has that, there's all kinds of stuff in front of it. And I know she does it just to annoy me. You know what I'm saying? I, I know she puts stuff there just to do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm tearing stuff out, you know, I'm getting, and I'm trying to get back there. And the bookcase is, you know, it's loaded with books, and it's kind of leaning back against the wall. My hands are too big, and my arm's too big to get, get back in there. So I'm trying to pull, my, pull the bookcase forward with one hand and reach my other hand way down low and I'm not flexible and I can't get down that low and I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to get to it. And, I'm, and my little five foot nothing wife walks up and goes, do you need some help? <laughs> yes, you know. And, and so I pull the bookcase back and she looks her little tiny arm so delicately back there plugs it in in like three seconds, stands up and smiles at me like, hmm, you're a wimp, you know. Just kind of, no. And it's like, you know, why is it so hard for me to allow her to come alongside? That's one word. What is it? Pride. It's pride. And we carry that with us. And sometimes we, we don't want people to believe on our journey of faith. We don't want people to believe that we struggle, even though we do, or that we need some counsel or advice, even though we do, or we, we don't want people to know that we need help, even though we do. Can I give you another one? This one I, I thought of, it hit me. When we talk about pride, it, it's not just about not wanting to ask for help. If we're honest, particularly when we're leading different ministries, pride comes in because we don't want to share the glory. Now, I know you'd have a hard time admitting that, but we like being needed. 
We like people telling us what a good job we do. And here's the deal. The, the moment I invite someone else to come alongside of me and help, people might start liking what they're doing more than they're liking what I'm doing. And if we're honest, if we go to that really dark place, I don't like to give away that. I like to keep that. Um, I remember <laughs> back in Pennsylvania uh, when our little church plant was was growing and we had these registration cards we asked people to fill out every week and it was a thing where they could put prayer requests on it or comments and all that kind of stuff and I would take those home every Sunday and, and I would read through them and, and people were so nice and they would say oh Pastor Steve thank you so much for that phone call thank you so much for that visit thank you so much for doing that for me and I'm, I'm, I'm laying there and I'm so codependent I'm like laying on the floor with these cards all over me and I was like Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, I'm going, yes, yes, it's true, it's true, you know. And, and then as we grew, we had this young lady come on our staff named Brenda Snedden, and Brenda was just effervescent. She's a, a people person. People loved her, and I kind of gave over to her the responsibility of running the ministries and engaging the people and doing visitation. And one Sunday afternoon, I'm, I'm in my living room, and I'm reading through these yellow cards, and it's like, Pastor Brenda, thank you so much for that phone call. Pastor Brenda, thank you for praying with me after church. Pastor Brenda, you know, thank you for those resources you gave me. And I'm reading through these cards and going, Pastor Brenda, Pastor Pastor Brenda, Pastor Brenda, where's Pastor Steve? You know, and, and, and honestly, there's a part of me that I had to let go for God to do what God needed to do. Now, I know none of you ever struggle with that kind of stuff, but if you do, letting others help keeps you humble. I, I love Proverbs 16, 18. Read it out loud with me. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Look at me. Just want you to hear my heart. Some of us are burning out because we're just too proud to ask some other people to help. Just a thought. Second thought I want to give you that, that hit me is that when you ask others to help, it, it keeps you, uh, it helps you to focus on your areas of strength. It helps you to focus on your areas of strength. How many of you have discovered you're not good at everything or, or that it's stressful for you? Yeah, I love the wisdom in what Moses' father-in-law said to him. As he watched him, he said, you know, you, you can't do this. You're gonna wear yourself out. You're gonna wear the people out. Here's what you need to do. You need, you need to be the people's representative to God. No one else can do that. You're Moses. You're called by God. You, you be the people's representative to God. And if you're going to handle cases, you know, you're going to be the big teacher. You're going to be the primary one who hears from God and tells us that that's going to be your role. And maybe the big cases, take care of the big stuff that nobody else knows about. But all this other stuff, give it to thousands, hundreds, give it to other men who can, can lead over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. You know, in other words, focus on what you do well. And that's such a great key. Because a big part, again, we go back to burnout, a big part of burnout is not how much that we're doing as much as it is we're doing things that drain us instead of empower us. I learned this in ministry years ago. There are only a few things that I can do well. There really are. I'm a pretty decent communicator. I'm pretty good with relationships. And I've got some leadership skills. Outside of that, I stink. And you have to learn that about yourself. Uh, you, you put me up in front of people. You call me to do these kinds of things. I can do this all day. 
Uh, you know, I spoke Thursday night for Celebrate Recovery. I'll preach twice this morning. Wednesday, I'm preaching in chapel at, at the college. You know, I, I can do this all day. Why? Because this is the stuff God's wired me to do, and this is the stuff that flows in my nature. You put me in a meeting, and I'll be dead in 20 minutes. Meetings suck the life out of me. You put me in an environment where I've got to do a lot of administrative work, where I've got to organize things, or I've got to do a lot of details work, I'll die. I'll never forget, man, when I was in Houston, I, was working, I went to work for an insurance company. I was a pension analyst as we were thinking we were gonna to have to be in Houston for a while. And my job was re going through these papers and signing things and then taking them from this stack and putting them in this stack. I just moved papers from one stack to another all day long. And about the third day, I realized if I have to do this the rest of my life, I will kill myself. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. And some of you are going, man, I love administrative work. My wife's reoccurring dream is that she's moving into a new house and she gets to organize it all. How sick is that? Why would you waste perfectly good dream time on, on, on stuff like, you know? But that's why, because Wanda loves to organize. When I think about moving into a house and having to put stuff away, I'm like, oh, you know? But we're all wired differently. Look at me, you know, I love you, but you're not good at everything. Some things give you life and some things drain life out of you, and you need to be smart enough to know what those are. Does this make sense to you? Now, a few things happen. Uh, well, look at the passage. Scripture. This is just a great example. In Acts chapter 6, the church was growing. Uh, there was a need that rose up that the Hellenistic uh, widows weren't getting their distribution of food. And, and, and the apostles were trying to keep up with an ever-growing crowd of people. And they complained. They do what good church people do. They complained. You know, they complained to the apostles, we're not getting fed. And the apostles were going, man, what are we going to do with this? And they were so wise, rather than doing what a lot of pastors would have done, and that's just, they would have took over the food ministry and started delivering food. Here's what they said. They said, and so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Read it out loud with me. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. In other words, we're going to focus on the things that we know God really wants us to do, and we're going to get rid of the other stuff and let other people do them. Now, for all of you who are in leadership, for all of you who are involved in ministry, you need to pay attention to this, because here's the deal. Three things that will happen if, you, if you'll operate this way. One, you'll have greater effectiveness. You'll be a lot more effective. If you stay with the storyline in Acts 6, after the apostles did this, it said, man, and the church really grew. The church grew rapidly. Why? Because they focused on what they were good at and left the others, left the others alone. You'll have greater effectiveness. Secondly, you'll enjoy your work a whole lot more. There is nothing worse than getting up every day and going to a job that you hate. Or having to do stuff that you really don't like to do. Stuff that just drains you. You, you know, you, you, you'll, 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 just, you'll just enjoy it. And the third result of that is you'll last a lot longer. You'll last a lot longer. Moses' father-in-law's words to him were really true. He said, man, you're just going to wear yourself out. You act like this. You do this, you're going to wear yourself out. You want to live long, then you need, you need to know how to delegate some of this stuff away. Third thing. It happens when we invite other people to help us is that it allows others the joy of being used by God. It allows other people the joy of being used by God. 
I love in 2 Corinthians, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and uh, this very wealthy church, and he was, he was holding up this testimony of this Macedonian churches who were very poor, yet when they heard that Paul was doing offerings to help the ministry go forward, they want to be a part of it. Look what Paul said. He said, Paul said, man, these churches, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed into what? Rich generosity. And he said, man, it's crazy. No, it's not. These Macedonian churches, it didn't matter that they were poor. They wanted to be a part of what God is doing. Now, let me take a step back. How many of you have been engaged, have felt God use you in some capacity in, 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 a, in a ministry or in, in, in work that you know he's nudged you to do? How many of you have done some of that and just experienced a great joy in doing it? Okay, here's what's crazy. For some of us, as we say that, we know how, how exciting it is to, to see the hand of God use us. Here's what happens when we think of asking somebody else to help us. What do we think? I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to be a burden. Why would it be a burden? If it's a joy for you, don't you think it might be a joy for them? You, you see, sometimes... We don't realize how differently we wired, and sometimes we think, I would never really want to do that. That's not something I really enjoy doing. That's why I write this on your outline. So, but what you call a burden, others might call a blessing. Uh, when I, we were in Pennsylvania, this little church plant we had ended up um, buying a, a little small brick church, country-style church building in the middle of town. Had a little uh, three-bedroom house next door that we used for offices. But after we moved into it, all of a sudden we had this realization. We'd been meeting in a Sheraton hotel for years, and now we had this property. Somebody's got to take care of this property. And it's like all of a sudden, man, I'm picturing myself out there trying to cut grass and take care of flowers and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know about you guys, but I do not have a green thumb. I, if it's living, I kill it. You know, that's just kind of, that's kind of how I operate. And I, I was going, oh, what, what are we going to do? And I, there was a guy who attended that church before we ever bought it that lived right across the street. His name was Clyde. Clyde owned various rental properties, and, you know, he just seemed to really enjoy doing all of that. And I'd always see him puttering around out in his yard. And I just felt like maybe Clyde would be a good candidate for this ministry. And I, I went to Clyde, and I said, Clyde, would you be interested? I said, we've got this, this, this yard now as the church, and we've got these flower beds and stuff. And I said, you know, this is the first impression that people see when they come to our church. They, they see how the grounds look. They, they see what, how things are trimmed or not trimmed. And I said, would you be interested in taking care of our grass and keeping our flower beds looking nice? Would, that, would you be interested in taking that on as your ministry? I'll never forget Clyde. We're standing out in the yard of the church. He, he took his hat off, put it to his chest, and he said, Pastor Steve, I would count it a privilege to serve the Lord and the church this way. I would count it a privilege to serve the Lord and the church this way. Now, cutting grass may not be your thing. Messing in flower beds may not be your thing. But you know what? Clyde loved it. What happened in that moment? Rather than us trying to do it all by ourselves, we opened up an opportunity to allow Clyde to experience the same joy that we had experienced. I'll give you one more. I've discovered that the more open that we become to allowing 
others to help us. Here's another thing that happens as a result. It makes us more receptive to letting God help us. It makes us more receptive to letting God help us. When I was, when I was thinking about, when I was working on this message and I was thinking some of these thoughts through, one, one of the things that hit me is that for some of us, it is as hard for us to ask God for help as it is to ask people for help. And for some of us, as we begin to tear down that pride and as we begin to let others in and we see the hand and love of God work through other people around us, it makes us more receptive to lean into God and invite him to help us. Come on, it's just us. How many of you would be honest enough to admit that there are times on your journey where you need the help of God? Yeah. I love the passage of Scripture. Psalm 81, 86, 1. Read it out loud with me. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Some of you may have... um, seen the story in the news from a few months ago, actually in March this last year. There was a, a flight from Houston to Boston. It was a United Airlines flight. And about an hour uh, into the flight, uh, one of the passengers began to experience chest pains. And as he was sitting there, he, 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 felt, he felt ill, and then he felt the, the pain in his chest, and he started gripping his chest. But uh, one of the issues was he only spoke Arabic. And the flight attendant noticed that this guy was holding his chest and she came by and she was trying to ask him, are you okay? But he couldn't, he couldn't communicate with her. And he just was like this and he was, you could, she said he could tell by his face that he really needed help and she could tell by the look that there was something really serious going on. And of course, flight attendants are only trained in medical care to, some, one, you know, to a small degree. And so she knew that she needed, she was going to need assistance with this. So she ran back to the microphone and she got on the microphone. And she goes, we have a medical emergency. Is there a doctor or medical personnel on board who could help us? And that's when this group of people stood up. Throw that up on the screen for me. There were a dozen of them. Uh, actually, 11. 11 doctors from Baylor College of Medicine who were flying from Houston to Boston for a a conference happened to be on that plane not far from where that that man was located. Two of the doctors got up and came alongside of them. One of them spoke Arabic. She spoke Arabic. She began to communicate with the man and found out exactly what was going on. They were able to stabilize the man. They got word to the captain, we need to divert to flight uh, to get, get this man on the ground as soon as possible. They landed in Atlanta. They, the hospital, the uh, ambulance met them there. They took the man to the hospital. They did emergency surgery and put a stent in the man's heart, and the man is fine. He survived. Don't miss this. Because he asked for help. You see, he could have sat in that seat and assumed he was done. He could assume there was nobody there that was going to understand him. He could have assumed there was nobody there that could help him. It was, a, it was a plane flight. What would a doctor be doing on this plane flight? But he cried out for help. And you know what? Look, don't miss this. He was surrounded by people who were able to help him. Look at me. And so are you. 
So are you. God loves you so much that he gave his son to save you. Do you think he would do that and then leave you alone? You're surrounded by people. Look around at this audience today. You're surrounded by people. And I guarantee you, people in this room care about you a lot more than you can imagine. You are only alone if you want to be. You don't have to do this journey of faith. You don't have to do whatever it is God is calling you to do. You don't have to do it all by yourself. This morning, we're going to close our service out in the time of receiving communion. I want to invite you, if you would, go ahead and take your little chalice and open the bottom part and take your little piece of bread out. And you can peel back that top and have your juice ready to drink in just a moment. Rachel's going to lead us in a, a beautiful song. It just says, Lord, I need you. And this morning, I just want you, I want you to do two things. One, I want you to open your heart to God, and I want you to confess to God where you really need him right here, right now, today. And I want you to just invite God to meet you at your point of need. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to ask God to help you overcome your pride, your shame, your embarrassment, whatever it is that's keeping you from reaching out to other people. And say, Lord, help me not take this journey all alone. Let this be your moment with God. We'll sing this song, and then I want to pray for us. Then we'll receive the elements together. Father, we hold in our hands today the evidence of your willingness to help us. This bread that represents your body broken. This juice that represents your blood spilt. And Lord, today we're reminded that if, if you're willing to go to these links to make us your children, then you're not going to leave us now. In fact, the promise of your word is that you will never leave us or forsake us. So Father, today as we come before you, I, I know that there are many of us walking in some tough places and maybe we've been doing it all by ourselves. And today, God, we just cry out to you. We ask that you would meet us right here, right now, right where we are with what we need. Father, today, as we voice that need, as we voice that concern, as we voice that struggle or that setback or that hurt, Father, today, would you just stretch forth your hand? Would you touch us? Would you bring healing, wholeness, strength, encouragement? Lord, I pray for some who may be really near to burnout today that you would just breathe into them a fresh new breath of life. And Father, I pray that you would help us to humble our hearts. It's so funny how pride can get in the way or shame or embarrassment can get in the way of us just sharing our hearts with a good friend, a brother or sister in Christ, just inviting them to come alongside of us, maybe, maybe to share a word of encouragement, maybe to pray with us. Or maybe to help us with something that you're asking us to do. Lord, you said from the beginning, it's not good for us to be alone. So my prayer, Father, is that you would help us to lock arms on this journey and truly be, in the truest sense of the word, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Lord, we love you so much. And it's in your precious name that we pray today. And all God's people said, amen.